0: We have um, all of our, not all of them, but most of our teenagers are up at camp today, so that's why you don't see a lot of uh, young people around. I just wanted to uh, invite you to pray for them. They'll be finishing up uh, in the next hour or so and then heading back home, so pray that God will meet them in a very powerful way at their closing service today, and then also uh, that you would uh, pray that they would have a safe journey home uh, this afternoon. Um, we had the privilege last week of being in Chicago. Uh, I say that as a privilege because we're indoors most of the time. Um, what, we, what this is, the Midwinter Conference, is the annual gathering of covenant pastors from all over the country. And there was a thousand of us there, men and women who serve Christ in many churches around the country and some around the world. And it was a great opportunity to be there. And uh, we had uh, worship every evening. Great, a great worship band and great speakers. We had seminars throughout the day, uh, a Bible study in the morning. It was just a wonder, it was kind of like Pastor Corey said, it was camp for pastors. And we had a great time, but what I wanted to do on behalf of our staff, because everyone was able to be there except for Pastor Barb, uh, she, as you know, is still struggling with uh, Valley Fever. But um, all the rest of the staff were able to be there and enjoy that midwinter conference. So on their behalf, I'd like to thank all of you for sending us, allowing us to go, and uh, giving us that great, great week. So thank you very, very much. So um, this morning we're going to close our series of messages on uh, the Ebenezer. Now, I think you all remember uh, what the Ebenezer is. Um, The Ebenezer was a pile of stones that... Samuel put together between two cities to represent two different things. One was to say, um, God has blessed us and helped us in the past. And the other thing that these Ebenezer stones were to do is to say, God promises to help you in the future. He has been with you, He is with you, and He'll be with you tomorrow. And so these weeks, as we've been looking at uh, My Ebenezer, we've been looking at the different stones of remembrance that we have as a congregation. And the first one was, uh, the Bible is the Word of God. It is uh, the one thing that we have as Christ followers that is our guide, our map, our menu. It's the way that we are to walk as Christ followers, as those who call themselves disciples of Jesus Christ, Um, this stone, the Word of God, says this is the way to walk. This is the path. This is the way that you walk towards Jesus. This is the way that you walk a faithful life, a walk this way. And so we talked about the Word of God. And then we talked about the next three weeks about the importance of connecting, growing, and serving. Remember to connect. We need to connect to each other. We can't do this alone. The theme of our denomination this year is we're in it together. And that describes exactly who we are as the Church of Jesus Christ. One expression of God's great kingdom family, Hope Covenant Church. We're in this together. We need each other. We need each other to walk with each other, to work with each other, to hold each other accountable. We need each other. We need the paraclete. The Holy Spirit's got our back, but we need to have each other's backs as well. We need each other. We're in it together. That's the second Ebenezer. The third Ebenezer was growing. We need to grow in our faith. We need to daily take steps towards Jesus, studying His Word, praying, meditating, serving, all of the things we do to build up the strength in our lives to grow in our faith. So remember to grow. And last week we talked about the, uh, the, the fourth Ebenezer, remember to serve. What is it to serve like Jesus served us? When Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, how are we to metaphorically and sometimes directly wash the feet of each other? How are we to serve each other? One of the things I love about Hope Covenant Church is your great heart for serving. Uh, Every one of you are amazing. Uh, As I watch you serve, now we do twice a year, we do Be the Church. We go out and serve the community. This coming Saturday, we're doing Serve the Church. We're inviting you to come and serve your own body and to serve each other by fixing up our grounds and our inside repairs, paint, those kinds of things. So we are doing that together. We're serving together. But I am so proud to be a pastor of a church that loves to serve the Lord. Not only serve each other, but to serve those who are in our community. To serve the lost. To serve the disenfranchised. To serve those who are less than. To serve them with the love of Jesus Christ. So that was our third thing, to remember to serve. Today we're closing this series, uh, our vision series, and it's around this subject. And I think it's the most exciting subject of all, and it's this. Remember who you are are. Remember who you are. If you have said yes to God, if you have invited Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, to give Him the keys to your car, give them over to Him, if you have said, Lord, I want to give you my life, you have to remember who you are. The captain of the ship looked into the dark night and saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately, he told the signalman to send a message, alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly, a return message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angered, of course. His command had been ignored, and captains don't like that, right? So he sent a second message, and it read, alter your course 10 degrees south I am the captain. Soon another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman third class Jones. (laughs) Immediately the captain sent a third message, knowing that his next command would instill fear in the obstinate insubordinate. You know, seaman third class Jones. This is what the message said. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Then the reply came, Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. (laughs) You better know who you are. You better know who you are. Well, that's the question we want to look at today. Who are you? Just inside of your own head and your own heart, let that question roll around who are you? Who are you in Christ Jesus? God has answered that question explicitly, directly, and I believe profoundly. In many places, in the New Testament especially, but in one specific place I want to read for you this morning. Uh, John not only wrote the gospel, he wrote three letters, three epistles. The first epistle that John wrote I want to read to you from chapter 3, the first three verses. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me there, 1 John 3, 1 to 3. iPads, iPhones, the sermon notes have the text, and we'll put it up on the screen as well. And we want to remind you constantly, what? Read your Bible, right? Say it with me. Read your Bible. You can't go wrong. You can't do it enough. You'll never be off track if you read your Bible. So, the text that we're looking at today is 1 John chapter 3, Verses 1 to 3, and in this text, uh, John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, describes who you are, okay? This is the Word of God for the people of God, 1 John 3, 1 to 3. See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know Him. Dear friends, we are already God's children. But He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. It's the second coming, right? But we do know that we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure isn 't that beautiful? This passage, more than anything, I believe, is an invitation um, rather than an instruction or an introduction, this passage is an invitation to all of the readers of the letter but Let's be very personal today. This is an invitation to you and to me, February 2nd, 2014, an invitation into a love relationship with the Father that is unlike any other religion or faith system known to man. You're being invited into a relationship that is so personal and so intimate that it almost makes you blush. In other words, John is saying, I want you to live as, to remember, and to embrace this is who you are, and he declares it boldly. You are God's children, and even more specifically, you are Abba's children. Did you know that you are Abba's child? Now the name Abba is used a few times in the New Testament. And one of those times is in Galatians chapter 4, and this is where it's kind of defined what it means. Paul writes, and because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Isn't that a beautiful phrase, by the way? God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, there are many names of God in the Bible. And some of us respond to God, and we even call God, um, based on kind of our relationship with Him. Uh, Some of us didn't have a very good growing up, maybe we didn't have a father that loved us. I was blessed, I did. But I know many people that didn't have a father, so it's really hard for them to imagine a heavenly father uh, that has um, a real great love for them, because they never experienced that as a child, So some of you may think of God as being angry or disappointed or unforgiving, all of those things. But in the Old Testament, uh, God's named about 50 different things, and all of them are around the name Jehovah. But God is known by a lot of names, and each of those names kind of indicate the kind of relationship that He wants us to have with Him. For instance, Adonai. It means Lord. It means Master, King, Sovereign. When you say the word Adonai, you are saying, Lord, you are my Master, you are my King, you are the Sovereign of the universe, and you're the Sovereign of my life, Adonai. Another word for God in the Old Testament is Elohim. It means God of glory. And so when you are in a time of prayer, and you're very closely connected to God, or a time of worship like we were today, uh, those are times when you recognize God of glory. He is glorious, His presence is glorious, and we thank Him for who He is. Another name for God is El Shaddai. It means God Almighty. You see the beautiful Arizona sunset. You see the birth of a baby. You see one of these amazing, glorious acts by God, and you say, El Shaddai, God Almighty. Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. Jehovah Rapha, God our healer. And each one of those names kind of recognize a relationship that we have with God, with our Heavenly Father. Names have a significance. Now each of those names in the Old Testament have another part to them that is distant. In fact, the name Jehovah was not even spoken out loud by faithful Jewish believers. Jews felt that you could not say the name of God because it was too holy, it was too distant, it was too far away. In fact, they wouldn't even say the name Jehovah. They would cut it down, shorten it, and take all of the consonants out of it so it would just be Yahweh. Because there was somehow, it was not holy enough to say the whole word. It was too holy to say the whole word Jehovah. So there was always this sense of, of distance, of otherness, of holiness, of a, of a God who could not be really seen or touched or known, but it certainly was the God out there, but he, should not, he could not be known because He was too holy. And then we come to the New Testament. And in John 17, we hear Jesus saying this prayer to His Father. And in this prayer, He talks about Abba, Abba, my Abba, my father. It's translated from the Hebrew, the word means daddy or papa. My grandkids called me Bipa, so that would be a good name for Abba, Bipa. Now, um, some of you have heard, some of the kids in our church uh, call me something kind of weird. At least you'll think it's weird. It's Gong Gong, okay. And what that is, is Chinese for grandpa. Now, there's a little bit of a backstory to that. Sherry, years ago, I don't know, Maya's, what, seven now? So when Maya was just a baby, Maya Cisneros, Sherry was her nanny. And um, so Maya, and as she got a little bit older, and she started talking, she spoke English, but she also, Lily teaches her Chinese at home. So she spoke both languages, even as a toddler. And so when she saw me, she would call me Gong Gong, Chinese for grandpa. Philip picked up on that. Sherry also nannied for the Pollards, for uh, Brian and Michelle. Drew picked up on that. Other kids call me Gong Gong. Now, so a couple weeks ago, Sherry was driving in the car, and she had Philip in the back seat in the car seat, and um, she was talking about something to him, and she mentioned something about Pastor Dwayne, and Philip said, who's Pastor Dwayne? You know, like, you know, and Sherry said, oh, that's Gong Gong. Oh, he said, oh, Okay, now, now, now I get it. Now, now I know who you're talking about. You know what? That's pretty special. Uh, someone, certainly I love it when the kids call me Pastor Dwayne. I love that. It's a, it's a term of respect and endearment. But, but there's something about being someone's gong-gong. Daddy. Papa. That's so much more intimate, so much more um, endearing, so much richer, so much closer. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, speaking to his Father, cried that word for the first time, Abba. It was picked up by the Apostle Paul, used several times in the epistles, but had never been uttered in the Old Testament because God was, what, too distant. He was too far away. But in Christ Jesus, the Bible says, we can come near. In Christ Jesus, we can draw near. In Christ Jesus, we don't just have this, other, worldly, heavenly Father that's somewhere out there, but we have a God, we have a Papa, a Daddy, who draws near, Abba. That's how Jesus lived his life, not as a servant, a slave, not as a subject, a serf, or a peon in the realm of the Almighty God, but Jesus lived his life in a deeply personal relationship with the first member of the triune God, his heavenly Father, Abba. And here's the good news. We, 2,000 years later, are invited by John to experience the same kind of relationship with our Heavenly Father. We don't have to not use the word Jehovah, but we have a God who has come near to us, who has drawn near to us. We can say, just like Jesus did 2,000 years ago, Abba, Father. There was a children's book that came out a few years ago, it was called The All Better Book. And the book was um, one that posed, it was kind of a book that talked about questions that really puzzled and vexed adults. And maybe, because we can't figure out the answers to these questions, maybe we should ask children. So that's kind of the premise of the book. And one of the questions that was asked of children was this, what do you do when you're lonely? Now again, for you know millennia, that's been a question that, adults have not been able to really accomplish very easily or understand very easily. What do you do when you're lonely? They pose that question of children. Uh, and we know that we stand, there's 7 billion people on this planet, we stand shoulder to shoulder with many of them, but how many people among those 7 billion are still very, very lonely? So they ask the kids question, how do you take care or how do you fix this I, thing that we call loneliness? One little boy said this people should go find another lonely person and ask their name and address and then put them together, okay? So you got one lonely person over here, find out their names and addresses and put them together. It's not a bad plan, right? Matthew, age eight, said this. Get people a pet or a husband or a wife, okay? That's how you take care of loneliness, you know? Some of you said, I should have gone with a pet, you know, right? But, uh, but that, that's how you deal with loneliness, Matt said. Another little boy, age six, said this make food that talks to you when you eat. That's a lonely little boy, you know. The best, best we got is Rice Krispies, snap, crackle, and pop, right? And I mean? That's, that's really a lonely little child. Uh, but then uh, one other uh, said this, Brian, age seven. What do you suggest for people who are lonely? He was asked. He said, I think people could sing a song, stomp their feet, or read a book. Sometimes when I feel no one loves me, I do one of those things. It's pretty good, Brian, age seven. So how would you answer that question? What does a human heart do when it doesn't feel loved? Sing a song, stomp your feet, read a book, get lost at work, have another drink, get real religious? Buy lots of stuff, maybe secretly go from one lover to another, searching for someone who will cherish you. Maybe loneliness will stop through the accumulation of things or accolades or accomplishments. If somehow, some way, we can find a way that will keep us from being lonely, that must be the answer to life. John says, Let me give you another idea. When you understand and when you embrace and you respond to God the Father as if He were your Abba, you will never be lonely again. So how do we live as Abba's child? There's three things that the text really directs us to very simply and very easily. And those three things are this. When we recognize God our Father as our Abba. That means that we are embracing a new identity. It means that we, understanding that we have a guaranteed destiny, and it means that we are entering entering into a highly motivated, thoroughly joyful kind of purity. That'll take some explanation, but we'll get there in a moment. Three key words. Identity, destiny, and purity. Abba's child. The first is this. Embracing a new identity, you are his child. Now, in the first service, almost always we have babies. Now, we have a great nursery, and we have an amazing, but sometimes it's really full. And sometimes people in first service bring their babies into worship, right? And that's fine. We love that. And even if they're squawking, we still love it, because that, that says life. But um, there was nobody in first service that had their, all the babies were in the nursery, so I guess they were tired. but So I I said, I'm not going to take a chance, second service. I'm going to make sure a baby's in this service. So we've got Caitlin Baker over here. Can I borrow Caitlin from her? <gasps> Hi, honey, look at you. And she's chewing on her toy. Now, she was dedicated about what? A couple months ago? November 17th. November 17th. And what do I do every time we have... Uh, I'm holding her like a loaf of bread. Every time we have a... Baby baptized or dedicated? What do we do at the end of that, right? Behold, what manner of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. Do you know where that's from? That's 1 John 3 1. In a different translation, but that's what it means. Thank you, Caitlin. She's totally cute. Yeah, give her a hand. Thank you, Mommy. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. Every time we lift up a baby, every time we claim that verse for ourselves, here's what we're saying. Because in that text, the word manner is the key word. Behold, what manner of love is this? In other words, that word connotes this there has never been anything like it. When we hold up a baby, an infant, we are saying, What this baby is going to receive from her Abba is nothing that's been seen by anybody ever before. It is uniquely designed for Caitlin. It is uniquely created for Caitlin. This otherworldly, never heard of it before, can't possibly imagine kind of love is a love that is bestowed on that child. And listen to this. It's that love that's bestowed on you every single one of you. Behold what manner, what amazing, I can't comprehend, otherworldly kind of love is this, that the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God, Abba. Father. Now this kind of love is, is something that we've never experienced before. In the Old Testament, God was a great God because He saved us and we were redeemed and that's awesome. But this kind of love draws near. This kind of love comes in our face. This kind of love is around us. Now, I love the fact that as a redeemed person, as one who said yes to Jesus when I was 16 years old, I love the fact that my sins are forgiven. And I'll bet every one of you would say, praise God, I'm, that's, that's, I'm, I'm with you, Dwayne. I love the fact that my sins are g- forgiven. But you know what? This kind of love is better. This kind of love is bigger than that. It's something that you've never seen before. Forgiveness of sins, that's amazing. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. But this is something even better. That's what that text says. Now, the fact that I'm redeemed, that I'm delivered, I'm no longer a slave, I thank God for that. But this kind of love is even bigger than that. The fact that I've received mercy, that even though I'm guilty of sin, and yet that sin's not held to my account, that's what mercy means, that I've been set free, I'm so thankful for that, but this kind of love is bigger than that. What kind of manner, what manner of love, what kind of, again, otherworldly, E.T., outer space, somewhere in the country, other person or situation, what kind of love is this that God has lavished this love on me? I'll tell you what kind of love it is. You are Abba's child. Now, when we realize we are Abba's child, and and I'm not talking about just coming into his presence as a guest or as a foreigner, but we come into his presence as his beloved child. Um, We just experience what this is. Uh, This is a kind of take off your shoes kind of thing. This is a I'm... Part of your family, kind of thing. This is come and sit under my table, kind of relationship. Um, When we were first um, uh, uh, starting here at Hope back in 2000, um, our house at Pecos and Cooper, many of you have been there, uh, was being built, and we moved in in the spring of 2001. And we thought we would have an open house for our church, naturally, right? Uh, in those days, we could do it because we only had a few people, right? So we could invite the whole church over for an open house. We couldn't do that today because you guys had clean our food, our cut pantry out, and all our freezer and everything. There's too many of you, okay? So, but in those days, we could do it. So we invited the church over for an open house. And so people came in, some people from the Midwest. You can always tell Midwest people. What do they do when they come in the house? They take off their shoes. People from California just stomp in there with the dirt and everything. That's the way we do it, you know. But people from the Midwest, they take off their shoes, like you're going to get snow on your shoes and trapes it into our house right so people are coming in and they're treating our house as, as as if they were guests which they were and they wouldn't let their children be too rowdy they wouldn't let their children jump on the furniture because this is somebody's house and we're a guest here and so everybody was being nice and polite and they were guests and and now if my kids were there or my grandkids, you know, forget it, you know, they'd be all over the place. In fact, during that open house, um, uh, one of the women who was part of our church then, they're no lo- they no longer live in this area, and I'm not going to say her name, some of you might remember, but one of the women that was there, um, she and her husband, um, after a while, uh, we, didn't see, we didn't know where she was. And her husband said, I don't know where she went. I, I thought she went home, but she's, our car's still here. I don't know where she is. So I happened to go into our bedroom so I could use the bathroom, saving the guest bathroom for everybody else. And as I went into our bedroom, there she was, not on our bed. She was in our bed. <laughs> under the sheets, sleeping, taking a little nappy, you know, little nappy poo, you know. And I thought, this is really weird, you know. As I still think about it, I just can't hardly believe it. And um, God bless her, she loves the Lord, and I still love her, but I don't want her in my bed, you know? And, uh, and so, but, but that's the difference between someone who's a guest or a stranger and someone who's part of the... Now, if it was my son or my daughter, uh, one of my grandkids, they have every right to jump into the bed jump between the sheets, use our bathroom. They don't have to use the guest bathroom. Jump on the couch, even though I'll yell at them. I mean, they treat it like their own home. Did you know that you are no longer a stranger? Did you know that you're no longer just adopted? You're no longer just in a relationship with God. You are Abba's child. You have a place at the table. You can crawl into the bed if you want to. You can get between the sheets if you want to. You can have all that intimate relationship that only is reserved for family. You are Abba's child. Prodigal son didn't really know that when he left home. He was given half of his inheritance because he asked for it and his father, in my view, crazily gave it to him. And basically when he gave him half of his inheritance, the son was basically saying to the father, I want my inheritance and I wish you were dead. That's what it was saying when he wanted his inheritance. And the boy went off and 18 months later, he had spent every penny on wine, women, and song. He had thrown his money away. He realized that he had no place to go. He thought about going back to his father's house, not as a son, but as a slave, as a servant. Maybe, maybe, maybe my father will let me come and at least live there as a servant. And the Bible says that while the father was, while the son was still a long way away, that the father saw him. And he went out to him and he didn't go out to shame him or embarrass him or guilt him or say, son, you did wrong, I told you so, you shouldn't have done, none of that. The Bible says very clearly that the father went out and embraced him and couldn't stop kissing his head, literally couldn't stop kissing his head. He was not a stranger, he was not a foreigner, he was not a slave, he was not a servant he was Abba's child. The father put a robe on him, put some rings on his fingers. They killed the fatted calf. They fried it up. They cooked it. They had a wonderful celebration. And the father said, My son has come home. Did you know that your heavenly father loves you that much? When you sin, when you break his heart, and we all do, he doesn't come to you and say, Now, I told you so. <laughs> he doesn't come and say, You idiot. He has every right to but he comes with his arms wide open. And he said, my son, my daughter, welcome home. Welcome home. I am your Abba. You are my child. Welcome home. See, there's no separation of God's love. Every um, time we have a memorial service or a funeral, and I've been doing this probably for 20 years of my ministry, we always close the funeral or the memorial service by reading from Romans chapter 8. And it's because that verse speaks loud and clear as to who you are, whether you're alive or dead. (laughs) It speaks loud and clear who you are. Listen to the words of this amazing passage, Romans 8, 37 and 38. We just heard it a couple of weeks ago at Uri's memorial service and at Ron Roper's. Here's what it says. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. The word there is nothing. It's ex nihilo. It means never, was, never will be. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God. What kind of love is this? What manner of love is this? What kind of outrageous, otherworldly love is this? When we hold up a baby before you, uh, when we have a baptism out front, when we have communion, every time we do that, we're we're saying the same thing. And I want you to hear this loud and clear, and it's this. You are marked for Jesus. Jesus. Your life is marked. Last Sunday, after second service, one of our teenagers was having a real struggle, she and her mother, and uh, we wanted to pray for them and anoint them, and we did that. And as we anointed this teenage girl and we prayed over her, when I hugged her afterwards, I whispered in her ear these exact words. I said, you are marked for Jesus. Start living like it. You have a mark on your soul. Your baptism." the time that you said yes to God, every time you take communion, when you're dedicated as a baby, you are marked for Jesus. You belong to him. Every time we hold that baby up like this, like, you know, like uh, Lion King, you know, every time we do that, we are saying, we're saying to the Lord, this child is yours. And Abba says, that child is mine. That child is marked for me. You belong to me. A couple weeks ago, Sherry, uh, Sherry's sister, Andra was here from San Diego, uh, from Oceanside. And while she was here, she was struggling with um, the fact that her 20-something-year-old daughter, Krista, our, ne- our niece, and we love her very much, is far, far away from God. Raised in a godly home, raised with godly parents. But you know how it is, kids have their own way, their own plan, their own desires, and this child was far from God. In fact, let, let me ask this. How many of you have had children? And those of you who are younger, you need to hear this and recognize this. How many of you that have had children that have grown up and have gone away from the Lord? How many of you have had that experience? Sherry and I have had that experience. Look at all the number of those hands. Now, let me ask this. How many of you have seen the glory of the Lord and seen those children come back to Jesus, right? Okay, that's amazing. And for the rest of you, listen, listen to me very careful. the rest of you, your child's marked. Your child's marked when they were baptized, when they were dedicated, when they take communion, when they open their hearts and said yes to Jesus. Krista, when she was eight years old, our niece, she said yes to Jesus. And we told Andrew that, that day in our living room, we said, Andrew, she's marked for Jesus. I know it's hard to watch her. I know you don't want her to do anything that will hurt her permanently, but she is marked for Jesus, she is. Joseph and Mary, what an amazing story. We always talk about it at Christmas, but this is a story for all times. Here's a part of the story you probably forget, and it's this. Joseph was at sea. He had no idea what was going on. Uh, Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. He he knew that he'd never touched her. They were betrothed. They weren't married yet. There were rumors flying around. Everybody was angry at Mary. Everybody was angry at Joseph. It was an ugly time, and an angel uh, angel of the Lord came to Joseph and here's what the angel of the Lord said. He ex- kind of explained what was going on, but here's the neat part of that story. The angel said to Joseph, he said, I want you to name the child. His name's going to be Jesus. But, but Joseph, I want you to name the child. Isn't that beautiful? You forget that part of the story. Joseph, this child I want you to raise as your own. This is not an orphan." This is the Son of God, but I want you to raise this child so that he will have a father and he will know his name, and I want you to name this baby. Basically, the angel was saying to Joseph, "Declare before all to hear, this child is mine you 're mine, you're mine. Nobody else can have you. You are mine. And when you gave your heart to Jesus, when your children gave their hearts to Jesus, when you received your confirmation and your baptism when you were dedicated, every time you take the Lord's Supper, this is a mark on your forehead. You belong to Him. Can you receive that this morning? Can you let that into your soul? To believe that for yourself and parents? Can you believe that for your children as well? Do you know why it matters what we do over on this side of the building? Every Sunday, Pastor Barb gives these children an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Some of them are too young to understand what's going on, but they may say yes 20 times, but praise God because one day, they'll be 18 years old, right? And you'll say to them, honey, I remember when you were a child. I remember that your face, your head, your body, your soul was marked for Jesus. You are Abba's child. You belong to him. You have a new identity. There's something else that we see in the text, and it's this. The, de- the next key word is destiny. You have a guaranteed destiny. Did you know that? You have a guaranteed destiny. 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, we are already God's children. Let that soak in. John was talking to the church, and he's talking to you, those of you who have said yes to God. Dear friends, we are already God's children. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's in the past. That's a done deal. Okay, you're marked. Don't forget that. But He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. That's the second coming. But we do know that we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He really is. You will have life eternally in heaven with the Lord. You're not only marked, you have a new identity, you have a new destiny. And your destiny is heaven. It was not an accident. The last year, starting last February, Michelle, God bless you, last February, uh, we buried Jack Pollard and then Cindy Barton and then Trey Bell and then Mike George and then Ron Roper and Yuri Hoshiwara. and every one of them had the absolute promise of eternal life not because they were good people. They were just like you and I. Sometimes they were good and sometimes they were bad but because they were marked by the Holy Spirit. They were marked by Him. Revelation 21, 3-7 says it this way, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying look, God's home is now among His people He will live with them and they will be His people God Himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever and the one sitting on the throne, Jesus said look I'm making everything new. What a promise. I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And so John wrote it down. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious, verse 7, listen to this, all who are victorious will inherit these blessings and I will be their God, and they will be my children. And we cry, Abba, Father, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. This is your promise to be Abba's child. He said, I promise you that you will spend eternity with me. My father um, died in August of 1983. He was 56 years old. At the time, I was 34 years old, a young father, and serving a church in San Diego where my mom and dad were also part of our church. And my my dad had been diagnosed at age 53 with lung cancer. He lived for three more years, and then he finally succumbed to the disease. And I remember that he died on a Sunday, but the day before, a Saturday, is the last time I saw him. And when I saw him, we had a nice visit. You could tell he was really struggling, really suffering. And these are the last words that my dad said to me. He said, I'll see you soon, son. Last words he spoke to me. Now, I thought, okay, I'm going to see you tomorrow after church, because after church, Sherry and I would take the kids down and see Grandpa in the hospital. But I think my dad knew something else. He said, I'll see you soon, son. See, my dad knew his destiny. He knew that cancer can take his body. Sure, I mean, death, bad things can happen all the time. We see it all the time, right? I mean, bad things happen all the time on this planet, on this little kingdom, but there's the big kingdom. There's the kingdom of God. And my dad said, I'll see you soon, son. God's promise is that he will never let us go. When we are held up by God, and in some ways I wish I could... Take each one of you and hold you over my head, but some of you are just way too big. But I'd just love to hold you up and say and declare: behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us. That we should be called the children of God, and so we are. You have a new destiny. There's one last thing: entering into a highly motivated, thoroughly joyful kind of purity when you are a child of Abba. Identity, destiny, purity. Verse 3, everyone who has this hope, destiny, right, this hope in him, purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, what's interesting about this text is that's not a promise or a conditional thing. That is a statement of fact. Basically, it says this, if you are Abba's child, if you're a child of God, you will act in pure ways. You will. It's a fact. It works like this. If you've begun to accept and embrace the fact that you are Abba's child, his treasured child, and if you have begun to get a glimpse of that fact and you're going to grow up into that truth and ultimately be with him for all eternity, if you can get your hope fixed, you can get your hope fixed. It's like you're staring at something. You can get your hope fixed. You will begin to quite naturally and enthusiastically and energetically look for ways to be just like Him. you live a pure life. It's Not something, oh, I'm today I'm going to be pure. It's not that. It's when you recognize who you are, when you live out your faith, you will naturally look for things to love that he loves, things to hate that he hates, and to live that pure, natural, godly life every day of your life. It won't be something you try. It'll be something you'll be. When I was a kid, I always used to say that I wanted to walk in my father's footsteps. What I meant by that was, My dad was an engineer, Uh, at least he got his degree and got a good job when I was in high school. All my growing up years, he was going to night school. But uh, I wanted to be an engineer, but it wasn't that I wanted to be an engineer. I mean, I, I did, and later switched to being a pastor, but it wasn't that I wanted to be an engineer, I wanted to be like my dad. He was courageous, he was powerful, he was a leader, he was godly, he was biblical, he was loving. He was tough. He was ornery at times. I mean, he was all of those things. I wanted to be like my father. But here's the good news my father's in heaven, and he's perfect now. He wasn't perfect on earth. Neither are you. Neither am I. But he's perfect now. But here's the, here's the deal I want to be like my heavenly father. I want to love the things that he loves. I want to hate the things that he hates injustice and condemnation. And I want to live my life in a way that enthusiastically and energetically embraces purity because He is my Abba and I'm His child. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God and so we are. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Heavenly Father, um, Sometimes we forget that we have the mark of the Holy Spirit on our lives. That time when we, by faith, embraced you as our sovereign, as our Lord, as our King, as our Master. And when we started walking with you, we were walking with you, sometimes it seemed like at a distance, not quite sure of who you were, not quite sure of your love. Was it always going to be there? What about when I mess up, when I fail? And we always had those questions as children and teenagers and young adults, but Father, you always assured us of the same thing, and it's this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who cry out, Abba, Father. Our lives are marked by your Spirit. And this morning, Father, as a congregation, we are going to once again be marked As we come to the table of grace, when we touch this bread and this juice to our lips, it will once again be a a symbol, but more than that, an act of grace, a way of Jesus saying to us once again, You belong to me, and I belong to you. You are Abba's child. So, Father, may we experience this grace this morning as we come to the table. May we come not because we deserve to, but because We basically are crawling there because we need to be reminded again, Lord Jesus, that we are marked by your Holy Spirit. We belong to you. We are your children. We are the ones who call out, Abba, Father. So thank you, Father. And may we receive this as a gift of grace this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's children said, Amen.